With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is another episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, uh, by way of Interstate 70 in the central Indiana Plains, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well. Uh, It's June, therefore therefore the slow season is upon us, but uh, I'm doing well otherwise. Well, we're going to find... Something to talk about, despite the fact that I think we just spent about 45 minutes talking about non-existent things that could potentially not happen uh, over the next few months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you could, you know, will they find a way to fill a 12th scholarship and who could they do it with? Um, the short answer, dear listener, is the pickings are slim. <laughs> right now for that 13th scholarship um unless something sort of materializes out of the out of uh thin blue air but um yeah but sam and i explored all the possibilities that and with bart torvik and nba withdrawal deadline lists and came up with very very few realistic options we we looked into the transfer portal we looked into the uh nba early entrant I guess list and uh it was all foggy. Um so yeah, there was a uh there's not a lot going on. Uh Mizzou had Jalen Hooks on campus. Was that today? Um Yep. He looked uh, good in black and gold, I'll say that. Um but he's like a top top sixty guy and 
I think my favorite uh, interaction was uh, uh, Carnell, the four-star cornerback who uh, is going to be a freshman this year. Like quote tweeted it and just like look good in that black and gold, son. <laughs> it's like, that's, ben, that's Ben Davis talking to uh, talking to Crispus Attucks here. That, that's some indie related chit chat. Yeah, happening there. Um, out of the Circle City area and out of the Metro. Um, if Dylan wants to help, if Dylan wants to help, you know, hey, I'm sure Cons will take all assistance. Uh, with a kid like Jalen, who's probably going to be the top. Jalen's probably going to... Now, Xavier Booker looked really good at Pangos, but it's either him or uh, Xavier Booker that's probably going to be the top uh, prospect in the 2023 class out of this state. So, uh, th- th- Dalen wants to help. By all means, please do. Please do. Well, Max Wisner was tweeting about uh, you know Mark Mitchell on his visit uh, to Missouri where he was donning you know, the... Uh, the worst gold uniforms. Your 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 favorite uh, gold uh, oval Mizzou tiger head uniforms. Um, I thought I thought Mark looked pretty good in black and gold. Yeah, yeah, he he did. Um, you know what uniform he looked horrible in was that that trash out west, that hideous. I just want to say crimson that, and blue. Well, I just want to say this about Kansas's uniforms, and and this is something that is probably well-worn over on that side of the border. That font on their uniforms is garbage. They need to go back to the original one they wore back in the 90s. That that, that new font is just garbage. And also Adidas is like uniform cut, also trash. Like you've got, you had, you had a great font. You had a pretty good looking like Nike usually did well by you guys. Adidas is trash. Been doing, but hey, Apparently they they can pay certain bills on time, so uh, who knows? Maybe that that that's a perk to that relationship. But uh, no, uh, did not think Mark looked good in that uniform with Trajan on it. Uh, just ill fitting in all ways. Mm. It's just a a bad choice all around. Um, so yeah, so he's taken. This is his. Was that an official visit or unofficial? unofficial uh if he takes an official it will be for night at the fog which is usually in october or it, it is in october because i kind of expect he'll be committed by then yeah yeah i, I expect uh, that decision will be made and it and it may be a school maybe to a school even further out west so <laughs> so yeah he's a, he's a kid uh from kansas city he's worn the black and gold of missouri He's worn the uh, the crimson and blue of of Kansas, and so what he's going to do is he's going to find a happy medium and wear the the blue and gold of UCLA. That's our that's our yeah. prediction anyway. That's how the tea leaves look early <laughs> on, right there. Um, so that feels like uh, recruitment that's going to disappoint both Missouri and Kansas fans uh, all at once. But the bigger visit is um, this coming weekend with Aiden Shaw, uh, who took his first official visit to Oklahoma State last weekend. Um, Which I'm always fond of, he, uh, of the you know the old orange and black uniforms because uh, that was my high school colors. I I think the the I actually like the Cowboys uh, uniform sets. I usually think they do a pretty good job down there. Uh, at maximizing the, that that Western motif, and Pistol Pete is is definitely like a dope mascot. 
Yeah, Pistol Pete's pretty dope. So their visual program in Stillwater, outstanding, outstanding, great branding and work down there. Um, but that that's the one I think we're all sort of pointed to is is you know how that visit goes. Um, it by all accounts seems like it's Missouri, Kansas, and Oklahoma State that are in the mix here. Maryland's tried to make a push in the last couple of months, um, and I think he added a visit to. Iowa, who had recruited him early on, but the sense there is that, you know, there's a big hill to climb. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, and he just got what, he just got offered by Texas Tech. This is another thing that, like, I'm always intrigued by recruiting. Like, Texas Tech's going to come in in the middle of June of a top 75 prospects, <laughs> like, summer, like, before his senior year. After he's scheduled like five visits already and offer a scholarship. I mean, I, shoot your right. shot. If you're Mark Adams, right. like, like no, no reason it, not to, it's a, it's a phone call. And the night, and I would do it this year just because guys after August, I think 31st, they get like, they hit reset on the official visits. You can take five more of them. So, Hey, you didn't make the cut this time. Maybe, you know, Aiden comes out of these visits. He's feeling like, okay, I'm still a little bit open. I still want to weigh some things out. You know, if you're Mark Adams, get in there and see if you can try and, you know, position yourself to extend this thing a little bit and, and get in the mix. Um, Adams is Come also on down to the Dust Bowl in Lubbock. Their facility down there is no joke. I mean, they've invested. Hey. They have invested some serious change in hoops down there. And well, I think that's that's definitely like you know the 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 spirit of Chris Beard and like his so basically like what what he did is he talked Texas Tech into making a real commitment to hoops and said if I'm going to be here like this is what we're going to do and they they followed along and he's done the same at Texas like the amount of money that Texas is spending on their assistant pool alone is ridiculous. It's, north of, it's around um, two or three mil, I think, is what it's been reported. Yeah, there were sitting head coaches who left solid mid-major jobs to go not even be on the bench. Office like, jobs. It? Yeah, like Chris Ogden, right? Is, yeah, but they're uh, buddies from back. They're friends, too. And like UTA, I would argue, had not really gained traction with him. So if you feel like you... If you can make more money and go and not have the possibility of being fired at UT Arlington, I would go to chill in Austin and do, you know, a, a back of the and do you know a back room role there. I'd be fine with do, that. Do some paper filing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> contribute to the culture, man. Um, but Texas Tech has uh, one thing I will say about them is that you know Adams is going to have to make a, a major jump, but they're paying for him to have assistance. He's also the architect of that no middle D. Like that was so famous there that, you know, that really kind of gave the identity of that program. He was kind of the, he was the schematic mind behind that. So if you're Aiden Shaw and you're a guy who is defense first, you know, who likes that sort of approach, you could sell that to him. But I, I do think it's awfully late still to, to be coming in and making a push, especially for a first time head coach. Um, and you're going up against even a guy like Bill Self in, in that sort of mix, or even a guy like Mark Mark Turgeon, who's a, a proven sitting head coach. So real tough there. But Shaw's the visit. I think everyone's going to be sort of clued in on 
and I think it'll be interesting. It's coming out of June. Does the, what does his timeline look like? Um, he has said in interviews that like he would like to have a decision made before the school year starts, which is mid August. So if that timeline holds and we get to the end of the month, that's six weeks, and he's going to be playing with Mocan during the July live period. So you're going to come out of July and basically have a couple of weeks to to finish this up. So what is that about? If you include the July period in there and other stuff, really probably only like four weeks of actual recruitment time left on the calendar, if that's sort of the timeline you're working on. So it'll be interesting to see kind of just what the what that looks like for him once the visit is done. Um, I think you and I have each heard that Missouri is in good position there. Um, but it's about closing and that's where they're at now. And, you know, you and I have talked ad nauseum on other pods about Missouri can do all, all it needs to do to get in position. But at this point it's about, can they close a guy like him? That that's really what it comes down to is, you know, they've, they've invested the time they've got him on campus twice. So can they close this deal up in the next six to eight weeks? If that's the timeline they're working on. So That'll be worth watching. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Shaw for us has kind of always been the guy that, uh, you know, we we think sort of fits what Zoe wants to do. He, he fits so much about, you know, Konza Martin and kind of culture that he's built. Um, you, know, you hate to kind of, you know, put so many eggs into a basket of one kid because I really, you, you know how I feel about a lot of this, and you know, when it comes to recruiting is, and, uh, you know, I think this may actually lead to maybe a more of a broader discussion about, you know, results versus recruiting is, um, you know, as I'm less interested in what, who, who you sign than what you do with who you signed. Uh, I do think that the more talent that you have, um, you know, and if you're able to bring in more high level guys, guys that, you know, can project into, uh, you know, being an NBA level player. The more likely you are to win more games. Like it's 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 clear. In order for you to win at a high level, you have to have NBA players in your roster. Um, you know, and that's just that that's any level. You know, and the reason Alabama is good in football is because they have tons of NFL players in their roster. Uh, and so for for Conzo, he's done really well with developmental guys. Like he's he's done, and he's won. Uh, I think a good amount of games with, I think a lot of people would consider like less talented roster than the amount of, you know, games that they've won. Um, And so I, you know, I was having kind of a thought the other day and this is, I think we're, we're all kind of pivot. Maybe we can circle back to, uh, to Sean's mothers, Um, you know, but I, I feel like very clearly right now, there's a lot of excitement around, uh, the Mizzou football program. You and I talk about this um, off the pod and, uh, you know, in private quite a bit about how, you know, like Eli Drinkwitz is obviously recruiting and doing things that Mizzou football has never seen happen for Mizzou football. Now, granted, there's been periods of success, uh, you know, in the past that I don't think you can equate with the modern era because like the amount of, money that these programs are spending is just unprecedented. So it's like, okay, well, you're recruiting, you know, kids who are smoking after practice in the sixties, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, like none of that is happening these days. And so what Eli Drinkwitz is doing 
in a modern football sense is is you know as Brandon Kelly put it in his his article the other day like unprecedented. Um, Missouri has never recruited at this high level, and and it's it's nice it's it's nice to see. Um, the athletic department has also made a significant investment uh, in being competitive in football. Um, you know that investment. I don't think you or I would uh, would say that uh, that same investment level has been seen in basketball. Um, you know, they, they certainly, you know, whether it's through, uh, you know, administration decisions or, or Consul Martins, uh, they're not seeing the same level of investment, although they're finally kind of upgrading some of their locker room and stuff like that. But I think that the, the question in my mind is if we could rewind, um, the last four years, and give Consa Martin more recruiting success. So instead of landing Drew Smith, he landed Courtney Ramey. Uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. So instead of missing out on guys that you recruited, uh, you, you landed them. And you get everybody excited about, you know, what's happening within the program uh, and 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 the fact that he's landing these kinds of guys. But the results ended up being the same. So we're two years out. We're two NCAA uh, appearances. Um, and, uh, you know, reached X number of, uh, you know, we're 10th in the country uh, this past year. Like all these things, everything is still the same. The, the results, the wins, the losses are all the same. But you you won the offseason by recruiting and winning those battles is the fan perception of Consul Martin in a better place. And that is where I ask the question to you, Matt. What do you think? Look, I think you'd have to look at, and it's hard to take one guy off another roster and plug them in to this one, but I think I'm going to start with just kind of chronologically, and I would look at Courtney Ramey first. And if you look at Courtney's Kimpom profile, um, these are his offensive ratings. We can be more nuanced, but let's just take the top line here. Freshman year, 98.8. Sophomore year, 95.5. Last year, 103.6. 100 is average. Um, High-end usage is probably, what, north of 24%. So Courtney had 21% usage, 22% usage, 21% usage. For, for a, a Texas program that um, some would say is underachieved relative to its talent level, Courtney Ramey's been given his recruit, given you know where he was recruited at. If you were to slide him onto Missouri's roster and have him perform at that level, I don't know if the results would have been markedly different because you'd probably see something similar to the top line efficiency that we saw from Xavier Penson. Like if you were just looking at efficiency rating purposes there, Xavier's usage was much, much higher. Um, but in terms of operating efficiently and in terms of minutes played, I don't know if you'd really see that much difference between them. Um, I think, you know, even in conference play, Courtney was pretty average to slightly below average, at least in terms of efficiency. So Ramey, I'm not sure. Um, if you were to go to EJ Liddell, and plug him in on this roster, I think you and I are 
very adamant that if Missouri had EJ Liddell for the last two seasons, um, the hole at the four spot would have been markedly closed, would not have existed. Uh, that would have sewn it up. And I think you and I have just said that it would have alleviated a lot of the pressure that was sort of distributed elsewhere on the roster for guys to maybe do more than they were capable of offensively. So I do think EJ Liddell is a guy who, if the results were the same with EJ Liddell on the roster and Courtney Ramey, I think, you know, you, you maybe would have seen some grousing just because you would have had an elite level big man, you know, a highly coveted point guard who you wanted in your system, you know, who you had landed out of St. Louis, who you'd come in and you'd picked up after he had decommitted. I think there would have been some grousing there. Um, I think it's harder with guys like Cam Fletcher with Caleb Love and Josh Christopher, just because all of those guys went through really turbulent freshman seasons, you know, Cam and his issues at Kentucky, which led him to take a leave of absence. Caleb Love had a ton of usage, but just did not shoot the ball very well, especially from three point range. Um, and you look at Josh Christopher, who kind of shut things down after some injuries out there. Um, some chemistry issues on that roster as well made things tough. So I don't know. It's hard for me to evaluate. I think if you had landed, if you had known that Courtney Ramey was on this roster as well, would you have landed Caleb Love? I don't think so. So it really comes down to, you know, if you think that you would have had, let's say, Fletcher. You know, who we, you and I both, when he was being recruited, had questions about his overall skill level. You know, he's a great athlete and great in the open floor. Would his, would his skill set have translated? I'm not so sure as a freshman. But I do think if you had landed basically one elite guy in each of the last three classes and performed the way they have, I think the discussion would have been the opposite of it is now, which is why is Conzo squandering talent? You know, we landed... Arguably three of the top guys from St. Louis. They've we've helped we've kept them home. EJ's played really well, but the two guys around him haven't developed. And you know what's happening here? I think there would have been some questions. I think though, Missouri fans would tell you that they would rather trade that upside of having those three guys and what they bring to the table over you know missing on you know Mario McKinney at that kind of combo guard spot or having Trey Jackson transfer out as that stretch four, or not really quite having, you know, the wing depth that they wanted behind Mark Smith. I think that's what Missouri fans would tell you, is maybe those guys wouldn't have hit, but the upside of them would have been something that they would have been willing to bet on. So that that's that's a long answer, but I try, I'm trying to, I think, put some nuance into it, if that makes, if if that's fair to you. I don't know how that, how that reasoning sounds. Well, no, it's like, I mean, I, I feel like if when Kanza Martin was hired, um, in you know, and granted, like there always has to be some level of nuance just because like when they had the spring that happened in 2017, like there was a lot of people who sort of thought the sky was the limit. Like we're hitting a major reset on the program. We're importing, you know, like this talent uh, that, that, you know, could be top 25, top 15 level uh, program if things go right. And then you lose your best player. 
Um, and and like and we've seen like flashes of Michael Porter Jr. Uh, you know, even at this point in the NBA, like you know, watching the Denver Nuggets and and like he's he's still kind of getting back to the kind of player he was. You see flashes of of kind of what he was capable of. So, uh, you know, but when you watched him in high school, like Michael Porter Jr. was awesome, and having that kind of talent, having that kind of player would have done a lot, I think, for, for Missouri and, and, you know, the sort of, uh, the program moving forward, but it didn't, it didn't happen. Um, and so what happened was, you know, Conzo adapted. He, he started, you know, coaching what he had up and, and they scrapped and clawed their way to, to two into the play tournament pierces of four years. And, and so I'm kind of wondering, like, okay, if you if you looked at the rebuild that he had ahead of time, and and if if there would have been like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna make the NCAA tournament two times in the next four years, um, you know, regardless of what talent has landed, are we feeling better, um, you know, in the the stages of the growth of the program, or or you know, would it been more frustrating if they were more talented and, and like this is the thing like so Eli Drinkwitz is is and to kind of you know flip this a little bit so Eli Drinkwitz is obviously having a lot of recruiting success um but recruiting is one of those things in football that that takes time right uh it's it's good that they've landed like you know two really good corners of the transfer portal they obviously need a depth cornerback um you know but if if missouri goes out and they're like seven and five eight and four next year like we're all still feeling pretty good about the future of the program because he's recruited well right so if if consul martin goes out and, and is like you know everyone's expecting missouri to kind of take a step back next year um 10th 11th early projections however they are let's say they exceed those not by a lot but a little uh and they go nine and nine in league play and they end up eighth um with this ragtag bunch of merrymakers you know like these kids from the mac conference and and these underrated freshmen so like this is the, the, that's what happens like are we are we feeling good about the direction of the program? Are we still like wanting, you know, and, and even next year, like Aiden Shaw decides he's going to commit to somewhere else, uh, Oklahoma state. So he's going to go to Oklahoma state. Conzo signs, you know, one kid who was like 184th in the, <laughs> in the two, four, seven rankings. But then the next year they go out and they, they make the NCAA tournament, you know, like, and, and the, you know, not next year, but the year after. And it's just like, we're, we're seeing a consistency. Like, like where, what are the expectations here? I, I think like that's. I, I guess to take it on the console point, if they go nine and nine next year, and then they were on the bubble or slipped in, you know, not this coming season, but the next one after that, I think what you would then begin to see is sort of us being able to say, okay, this staff has shown a knack for identifying undervalued players. They've shown an ability to go out in a crowded market in a really crowded transfer market 
and also, you know, find guys that fit what they want and zero in on those guys and get them. They will have landed. Let's say one, let's say Amari Davis is good. And Jerron Coleman is good. They found two former mid-major freshmen of the year in their respective conferences. And they got them here. They got it early in the portal. They zeroed in on those guys. They landed them. Those guys come in and they make a dent. Well, now you're talking about them having identified Cassius Robertson, Drew Smith, and two other guys. So clearly what you could say about them is these guys are exceptional at identifying high-value transfers from the mid-major level. They're able to sort of recognize guys who can make that transition to the high-major level. If some of the freshmen do well, you can start to say, okay, they were in early on those guys. They saw something in the eval well ahead of other high major programs, and they jumped on them. So, and we saw that kind of a little bit last year, you know, with even, you know, guys who committed to Texas, you know, like David Graham. We saw that, you know, that Missouri or Isaac Trout, who's now blown up into a top 40 kid. You know, Missouri has shown an ability to identify talent early. But if they've got those guys in the program, now they're turning them into guys who can get you to nine and nine and they get you in the NCAA tournament. What you can start to say is, okay, maybe Zoe's not landing that hiring guy, but he and the staff are excellent at identifying undervalued assets and getting them in here, building guys who want to buy into Missouri's mentality and play well. That's what I think the narrative would be around Zoe if what you're talking about happens. And I think at that point, it becomes Zoe's credibility comes from the fact of, okay, We've seen him do this now the last couple of years. The last three or four years, he's kept Missouri competitive. He's consistently been able to put some results together. Maybe this is just what he's good at doing. And I think that becomes the narrative. I think there are going to be people who are going to grouse always about, you know, they have to convert that into high-end guys. And you'd like to see that. You'd like to see something similar to what's happening at, what's happened at Purdue, which is Matt Painter went out and did that. Matt Painter would, you know, occasionally land top 100 guys in the state of Indiana who, you know, whose families and had an affinity towards the school or where they had a little bit more, they obviously had relationships. But now you see Matt Painter going in and pulling top 50 kids, you know, going out and elevating his recruiting level after, you know, spending, after really resetting that program by finding his type of guys. So I think that's something that you'd hope for, for Zoe, is that these first couple of years are, are just one where he shows, yeah, look, I can identify my guys. Maybe they're not going to be ones that, you know, are going to be written about on 247 or rivals that are going to be tweeted about a bunch, but we are really good at doing the nitty gritty work of finding guys that fit us and developing the hell out. I think that's what the narrative would become, uh, which would be different to drink, which, which is Eli takes this investment and the ROI as he begins punching up in terms of recruiting weight. I think those those two narratives are very different. I think you have to evaluate the programs through those lenses, through those respective lenses, I should say. So that's that's how I'd parse it out. Well, and so I think that sort of, you know, speaks to a little bit of my point is, is you know, Missouri is obviously, you know, very clearly making a uh, concerted investment uh, to to be competitive in football. Um that investment is is paying off. Look, we're all thrilled with with Eli Drinkwitz recruiting and, and recruiting at a level that um you know that Missouri's just never seen. I mean like 
even Gary Pinkle's best year was like top 25, like never really seen top 20. Um, you know, Missouri right now is, is, is top, I think 15th or something like that. And, uh, and that's great. But it's June, um, which is what I would always, it's, it's June and they're seventh in the sec. Uh, and so again, like, you know, I, you and I kind of spent a fair amount of time talking about, you know, investment and, and the finances part of it. Um, They've got four so four-star guys right now. So, like... Yeah, and and, and four... Well, so, I think, you know, some of... So, the seventh in the SEC is, is from 247, which we tend to use 247's composite for a lot of basketball recruiting. Um, I think the 247 composite is impossible to beat for basketball recruiting. It's it's really the best way to kind of look at at what kind of talent you have. It's a little less unreliable in football. I think Rivals uh, still has a little bit of a leg up in football recruiting. Um, and so I don't I don't have, you know, their their class ranking uh, in the SEC, but I imagine it's probably somewhat similar. I mean, Alabama has five four stars and two uh, two five stars. Kentucky has four uh, four stars. Texas A&M has six four stars and a five star. Georgia has eight four stars and a five star. LSU has three five stars and six four stars. So, uh, man, Mississippi State has no five stars, no four stars, but fourteen three stars. I guess the question. In, I guess the question will. The, the question's going to be, can Missouri hold off the likes of Florida, Auburn, and Ole Miss? Florida, Auburn, Arkansas. Um, Tennessee. I mean, uh, Tennessee. Wow, man, they're. All... I, I think Tennessee's taking a hit for the timing of its coaching hire. South Carolina's got a first-year head coach, or a first-time head coach there. So, but I think if you look at traditional recruiting performance, I would say to me, Florida, Auburn, and Ole Miss are the teams. Like if those teams pass Missouri, and I'm getting at this, Ole Miss only has two. So I think I think Lane Kiffin is doing a fair amount of shooting his shot with some higher end. Yeah, and if you're doing that, then you're waiting. Then you're then you're making the long. Then you're playing the long game here. But point being, like everyone's excited here in June, and Missouri's seventh. If we get to signing day, and Missouri is in tenth and eleventh again, like and its average recruit rating is around ninth or tenth again, then I think what you do is you say, okay, there was a flurry in June. They did a great job. They got in the transfer portal and addressed some issues. But, you know, if the if the total team talent calculate, you know, calculations here, which I do think 247's total team talent rankings are, are really handy. If Missouri's still ninth or tenth in that, then I think what you're looking at is Missouri did a good job on the margins, but they've got a and we've talked about this, and I think this is more this is why I always say football and other people say football and basketball aren't comparable. Football is about stacking good class on top of good class on top of good class. So what Missouri needs, like Missouri fans are excited right now. If they make it, say they finish 20th, Missouri's got to stack three more of those together to get to the point where you could start to say, okay, now they are a team that, you know, without some help and some other programs being down in the East, they're going to be problematic. I think so to me, it's I sort of look at drink and 
and think, okay, it's really great what he's done. He's come out gangbusters in this class, but he's got to stack it now. I think that, and so I think that that's why it's not that I'm poo-pooing on drink stuff. It's just like you look at how football recruiting works. They've got to find a way to stack these classes together. They're they're not going to get solved all at once. And I think the frustration with basketball is with the high end guys, and this is my pivot back is. We talk about adding EJ Liddell. If you put EJ Liddell one commit in the last four years, how different is this program look if you have EJ Liddell on this roster? Like you, you win that battle for one guy, and you have him on the roster the last two years. How does how different does Missouri look these last two years with him in the mix here? Or you win that battle for Caleb Love, and you and you're bringing both those guys back this year. And I think that, and you know, we talked about it with CJ Moore in the last month. Conzo, I think, has shown he can build a really good group of guys in spots. What did we say, like three or four through nine in his rotation? The issue, and he can, you know, get those guys to buy in, take on roles, you know, stick around. But it's really finding a way, whether that's through the transfer portal or that's winning a recruiting battle for a guy like Aiden Shaw to elevate that program to the, to the next level. So I think for Missouri, like the question is, can they finish the top end of their class in basketball? Whereas for Eli Drinkowitz, it's about, can he stack that kind of talent successively? So the jobs are different to me. Um, and I think what has Missouri fans excited, obviously is Eli is showing proof of concept that yes, we can get some of that talent in the door. And you've got to be able to do that before you can start talking about stacking it. So uh, I think it's just their fundamental different points in the rebuild. The nature of their recruiting and their roster construction is different. But I look at what, and that's why to circle back to Shaw, that's why I think Shaw in so many ways is symbolic for this program is because it's a top 50 to 75 level kid fits the physical profile of what you want. The kid freaking jumped up and kissed the rim this week. <laughs> so he can get off the floor. He's long. He wants to defend. He buys in there. He's he's tough. He he you know is fine. You know being a tertiary guy on a loaded Mocan roster. You know I, and so I think in so many ways, he's the kind of guy that if if you're designing a top level kid for Zo, that's it. And you want to see him close, and you want to see him. I think show that. Not only can I identify some guys who are good developmental pieces, but we can find the one top-end guy who absolutely fits us to a T, and we can land him. I think that's what you want to see. You know, if they're not landing Josh Christopher, that's fine, because Josh's game and even his sort of temperament weren't necessarily a fit with with Zoe in a certain sense. But Aiden Shaw in so many ways is, and you want to see that happen. So... I just think it's it's two different tasks, and I think you have to really be careful in how you sort of weigh that out. But um, I, I get why fans are frustrated. They just want to—I think they want to see that breakthrough, at least on the hoop side. Yeah, and you know, I, I think my point to all this is—I mean, what does it matter if Eli Drinkwitz is stacking classes and and they're—you know—they're not they're not pushing past that level and, and wins. Um, you know, I am, I'm always going to be about 
what were the results of the season more so than what were the results of the off season. And, yeah, but I think you can tie that and, together. Like if you look in hoops, like over the last decade, like the strongest correlation for programs in terms of, you know, winning was talent. If you take the average recruit, the average, you know, rating, average composite rating for every high major program, going back to when we had realignment, the strongest indicator of on-court success was that rating. The higher the rating, the more likely it was you were going to have success. Is it perfect? No. Are there outliers? Sure. But from an aggregate 30,000 foot view, teams that put more talent on a roster tend to be successful. And really then what you're starting to do after that is look at schools like Purdue or, you know, which has a really fertile local recruiting ground and has shown an ability to identify talent or even for a little bit, Iowa State. You know, we know how they did that, you know, with Fred Hoiberg finding a hack early on in the transfer portal or you're Miami and you've got a head all of fame coach in Jim Laranega. You know, you, there's some sort of exogenous variable that explains why that happens. But by and large, I think it's still true. The most talent on a roster is probably going to be the one that's going to be successful. Outside of that, you have to have a coach and a staff who's exceptionally good at identifying fits and developing it. But, you know, so I get what you're saying. Like, you, you don't want to chalk everything up to it, but there's a strong correlation there. And I think in, you can't dismiss that out of hand. So I, I think you're you are misinterpreting that I, there is no like dismissing, you know, the the importance of recruiting, you know, but I think more than anything, it comes down to the results during the season. And this is something that I've been consistent on ever since, you know, Kim Anderson was was bringing in whatever guys he was bringing in. Like it didn't matter who he brought in if he didn't win. And and as long as as long as Conzo continues to win, if he if he takes this past year and 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 turns Missouri into a more consistent winning program, then he's going to find more and more success recruiting. Um, you know, but the most important thing, and I think this is what Missouri fans want, is is to have a program that is consistent on the floor. Um, and yeah, to to win at a high level, to uh, to be a Final Four team, to be a national championship team, uh, to be an Elite Eight team, you need NBA players. My point to you would be, real, and this gets back to what you've written about the last couple of weeks and what I'm working on now is, I think part of the breakdown that happens, the disconnect is, I don't think there's a shared consensus over what the floor for this program is. You know, and I think that that's something that sort of hinders any real discussion about what success is, you know, relative to Conzo's results. Like if you were to say to me, you know, Missouri should be winning, you know, at least 10 games in the SEC every year and 20 games should be, you know, the minimum expectation. My response is go look at programs in the high major level who've done that. It's usually the top 15 programs, including Blue Bloods. And then after that, it's teams that spend a hell of a lot more money than Missouri does on basketball. 
like Missouri's level of investment, and I have a broken record on this, and I'm already writing about it, is Missouri spins at a level to where 18 to 19 wins is the is the benchmark. So if you that's what it's spending typically also translates into in recruiting in terms of talent acquisition and in terms of what it should translate to on the floors, 18 to 19 wins. If that's the barometer we're working off of where we're saying, okay, Missouri's budget should translate into X talent to produce Y wins and it's 18 to 19 wins. Then I think Zoe by and large has we've said this has got Missouri back to that baseline. And to me, that is successful within four years of inheriting arguably one of the worst high major tenures in the modern era. So recruiting to me is almost sort of, and this is where I agree, how Missouri got there, you can argue over, oh, they whiffed on guys or, oh, they haven't had quite the talent. What I would say to you at the end of the day is, Zoe got them back to baseline. And now he's resetting and we're going to see if he can elevate and and move above that floor. And that's where I think the, and that's where we're going to, where our whole conversation I think revolves around here is, you know, is, is there the talent level there that's necessarily capable of doing that? But also should that really, should the recruit ratings matter? If so, is beginning to show signs that he's moving past that floor. If he's being elevated a little bit, is recruiting consequential? I think that's what we're going to find out in the next year or two as to whether or not, you know, Missouri has found a coach who's really adept at sort of operating, you know, where market inefficiencies exist. So uh, that that's sort of my take on it. I, I think once you have an agreed upon or you can get some sort of idea as to what baseline looks like, then we can begin to have a discussion about whether or not the program is successful. And I just don't know if, you know, even broadly, if you could have Missouri fans sort of say what they agree success looks like. And that makes it hard. So uh, you think they land Aiden Shaw? I'm going to hedge and say I've got to see it. You know, No, 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 no hedge. Yes or no. <sighs> I've said no almost every other high major prospect. So I'll give them the yeah, I'll just change it up. I think they'll get him. I think it you know, I think they've put in enough time there. Um I think Zoe's about the right things. But you know, I think you look at a school like Kansas, there's a crowded house there. Um I don't know if Iowa's all that serious in it. Um Okie State, you know, Mike Boynton recruits well down there. Mike Boynton's gotten some momentum, so you know, I'm not gonna to me, I think it'll come down to Okie State or Missouri is what I think it'll be. Um, and just odds tell me it's got to break Missouri's way at some point, you hope. So I'll I'll, I'll give them the win and say they get him. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I think they. I think this is the one. So um, let's wrap it up. We're at 45 minutes, and it's the offseason. I can't believe we spent that much time talking about that. Um, we'll talk some uh, early season ranking stuff in a couple weeks. Um We'll go ahead and leave that. We'll have something to talk about at that point. And who knows? Maybe more visits, more recruiting, and uh, and maybe a commitment. You never know. You never know, Matt. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, so make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure that you follow Matt on Twitter. Uh, don't follow me on Twitter. You can follow Levi on Twitter, who is the new podcast producer. All complaints go to Levi. 
Um, his uh, his one month grace period is is over. Uh, so so please send all of our screw ups to him. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks with more episodes of Dive Cuts. Until then, thanks for tuning in.